What's your favorite place you've ridden? Number one place. So there's, uh, there's a couple, I have a couple different answers for this. I think the best trail center in the world is. Let's go. Hello everybody, Sebastian here, and welcome to the first episode of our new podcast series called Biker Talk. Uh, today we are joined here with Alex. Hello, welcome guys to our brand new podcast. Uh, it's gonna, we're gonna, this is going to be a weekly thing, uh, every Wednesday for the next eight weeks. It's going to be a guest-based podcast, so every week we're going to try to bring on something, someone cool from the mountain bike community, whether that's a YouTuber someone from a bike brand or one of the bike resorts like Horseshoe, Blue Mountain, etc. And uh, it should be pretty interesting to, to get to talk to these people. And uh, Sebastian, who do we have on today? Well, today we are extremely lucky. We are joined here with a YouTuber with well over 60 million channel views, over 400,000 subscribers. Uh, so I'm welcoming Brian from BKXC. Hey, Brian. Hello, hello. How are you today? Did, I'm good. Did my thing actually turn on? I don't see myself now. <laughs> oh, wait, uh, oh in. I think the camera's loading in now. We have an extremely large there we go. Uh, live audience, which is, seems to be causing a little bit of lag on the Discord. But wow. okay. Loving good. the background, the whole bike shed, the BKXC in the middle there. Oh, yeah. Very the nice, Nuggetorium, very nice. baby. Yes. Love it. Alex, we need one of those. Pronto. Yeah, we do. We need a we need to get a bike house somewhere where there's actual mountains and it's not as flat as Ontario. <laughs> Very nice. So how's it how's it been in California over the past year of just mayhem? Man, that's kind of been the crazy thing. Is that I was out on the road so much in 2020 that I was in my van, I was you know staying at different places, I was just traveling every day. So I hadn't been home very often. I was home for a good chunk, maybe last April. I think that's when it was. And uh, yeah, it's funny. I uh, there was you know everything's kind of different with order online, go pick it up, and you know try to stay distanced and stuff. And you know everybody says like, oh my god, California, that's like the worst, but. I have a big family and no one I know got sick. I don't know anybody that got sick, like maybe a friend of a friend kind of thing. So I, the people I know did their part. They wore their masks. They got distanced and hopefully we'll get through it soon. That's good. I'm really hoping we get through something soon. Got to hit up those yeah. bike parks and whatnot. The good ones were closed last year. Yeah. Same with traveling and all that. Yeah. So, yeah, so um, go ahead, Alex. You were um, like midway through. Or not midway, but you were th uh, still when your 50-state shred, that series, when the pandemic hit. Um, what was it like? Did you, did you think that you would have to stop that series? Yeah, I was worried. It was weird because just we didn't know really anything. I thought there was going to be like laws where you couldn't travel from state to state in the United States, which is against the Constitution. But, you know, oh, you could put everything on pause because of this health thing. And so I just wanted to kind of be back home. That's when I had first met my girlfriend, Sarah, and we were hanging out in North Carolina. And I was like, hey, did you want to come home with me? And we could hang out in California and, and just ride this out for ride the storm out for who knows how long it'll be. Maybe it'll be a month. Maybe it'll be uh, six months who knows so because i had been staying at seth's house at berm peak at that time and i was like oh man i was already there for maybe 
three or four weeks. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to stay here forever. I got to actually be back home. And if I'm back home, at least I can control what I'm doing. If I was just stuck at Seth's house, it's like, okay, what videos am I going to make? I I can help him make features, but that's not my own videos that I would be making. Yeah. So, so say the least COVID has like, you know, affected how your videos have been coming out or it's kind of the same thing. No, it was pretty, I'm, I'm pretty amazed. I still was able to get to 49 states. You know, I only missed Hawaii. That was the only state that I missed because of COVID because I had a flight planned and their stuff was going to open up, but then it got shut down again. And cause Hawaii depends so much on tourism and, uh, it just, yeah. they were very much like, Oh, stay out. Let's not do this. Let's not, you know, buckle the system. But, uh, yeah, it, it, I definitely wanted to go to more places. I wanted to spend time in more different places, but I still made it work and I still got it going. And it was pretty, I'm pretty amazed looking back at just how, how much time I lost, but it didn't really matter. It was fine. Yeah. That series is like a mountain biker's dream. Just being able to travel around like that. And like, and your last state that you visited, I'm pretty sure was Alaska. That was pretty cool. Cause I don't think like how many people think that there could be mountain biking in Alaska, or I think a lot of people <laughs> probably don't even uh, remember that people actually live up there and it's not just a snowy tundra. Definitely. It, there's so many ideas about Alaska. Yeah, it's just when you think of Alaska, you think of snow. You think of just hard packed Iditarod, you know, huskies <laughs> going through on a sled. But it had some really cool stuff. It's funny how anywhere there's people, when summer hits, it's it's probably pretty nice. You know, even the, the, the highest and the weirdest, harshest places you'd be there you'll be there in summer and be like what it gets to negative 40 degrees every day here and during the winter i don't i don't understand it but yeah alaska was super cool yeah and the thing the thing that i find cool about it is like you can like talk about bc and whistler and like sedona and all that kind of stuff but like it's pretty incredible that in like the low-key states or low-key provinces there's some pretty cool things that you can go and ride there it's, I don't know. There's just always pretty, one thing. There's always, there's always yeah. at least one good trail system. You know, a lot of people were worried about Kansas or Iowa and these places. They all had at least one good solid trail system. And it's it's so neat to see that, oh, wow, there's people everywhere, almost everywhere, that there's good terrain making good trails. Yeah, it's pretty sick. So how do you – what do you think of the changes in the um – in the mountain bike community because of the pandemic there was a huge boom bikes are running out like there's i know um our store county cycle they've been really low on um bikes so what do you what do you think about all that oh man it's so interesting the whole supply chain side of biking and i'm kind of kind of privy to some of that information i'm more of an outsider on that so i've heard of like oh the taiwanese factories oh they're shut down but now they're they're back and then oh the big uh, mountain bike manufacturers they ordered millions of parts and they're gonna like try to just go gung-ho and and just make millions of things because maybe they think the the supply or the demand is still going to be going crazy. So they want to just make sure there's plenty of supply. And then you talk to bike shop owners and stuff. It's like, Oh, we can't get Shimano brakes. We can't get this. We can't get that. Oh, we ordered this and we were able to get it. It's, it's so crazy. Yeah. And what I find so you, very, you mentioned, the. <laughs> sorry, Seb. Go ahead, I'm go. go ahead. Okay. What I found very interesting <laughs> is like, if you go on the bike market in general, you'll have a lot of people that like, have a thousand dollar bike brand new and they'll be trying to sell it for twenty two hundred dollars and people are paying the price like i don't know about that like it's a little i don't know 
It's I'm supply and demand, man. It like yeah. uh, my house in California is somehow worth four hundred thousand U.S. dollars, but you know, thirty years exactly. ago it was like twenty five thousand dollars. <laughs> so if yeah, people exactly. are willing to pay the price, then good on them. At some point, mm-hmm. that's all going to fall out. And if you try to build your entire life around that, then it's not going to be very sustainable. But if you you do a little bit of hustling and people are willing to pay it and they're happy to pay it because that means they're actually going to get on the trails, eh, I can't fault them too much. It does feel a little shady, but if that's what the market is willing to pay, eh, it is what mm-hmm. it is. I walked into a like a big box store the other day and I noticed one thing is like I guess the shops and whatnot ordered a whole bunch of bikes when the pandemic hit and they were so delayed that they only got them in the middle of the winter where now nobody wants them. So I was walking in a store and they had rows and rows of bikes. It was just taking up rows out of the sporting department as well. I'm like, wow, really turned in. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens once the weather starts to get warmer, if they're all going to be sold out or if they're just going to have a whole bunch of back stock. Yeah, because you guys have that whole psychology of that first day of like, whoa, it's yeah. actually nice and warm. Then everybody's like, yeah, let's get out. Let's get out. And I, I find that in the all the northern climates that people are so active and so healthy and they love the outdoors so much because they get so holed up during the winter. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Alex, you got a question, right? Yeah, it was just since we were on the topic of bikes, I just wanted to ask you because there's just there's so many bike brands out there. It's Oh, it's just hard to even keep up with all of them. So I wanted to ask you about why did you choose Ibis or what is it about Ibis that that is the bike brand for you? There's so many good reasons for the Ibis. I've got my Ibis Haka in the background right now. I've got my Ibis Ripmo at the shop right now because I'm getting some parts put on and swapped out. But man, it's it was such a a natural, cool relationship. So Scott Nickel, the founder of Ibis, he's still one of the owners of Ibis. I I talked to him at maybe Sea Otter, and then I talked to him at Outer Bike, and then I ran into him on the trail. And this is while I was riding the Orbea Rayon or my other bikes, and uh, then I ran into him on the trail again. So it was like really just cool that he kind of knew what, because I would talk about, hey, I've got this YouTube channel, I'm doing this thing, and it was just this very natural relationship of, hey, yeah, I'm doing this thing, and Ibis, I think... They probably a little bit through me and a little bit through just knowing the terrain kind of saw like, wait, wait a second. We spend this money like sponsoring these people and like who sees it? And then you can actually see on a YouTube video if I'm riding the Ripmo around and oh, wow, they do this. I think one of the first little things we did with that relationship was they sent me a a Mojo HD4 and I took it to Switzerland and that was maybe 2017. And you can see like the views on that video really good. It's like, wow, I got to show off that bike in that video. It's something people wanted to see. It's like a natural thing. And yeah, I think they really are keen on the whole YouTube thing. And they're local, kind of, sort of. Santa Cruz is maybe two hours from here where their office is. And then with traffic, it's like three hours. But it's local-ish, you know. It's still within the realm of this, the Bay Area, Northern California and stuff. And it's just neat. It's it, it's a two-way street, you know. I love what they're doing. They like what I'm doing. It You have to have that kind of back-and-forth relationship and... I guess I could ride another bike from another bike company, but they don't know who, know who I am. They don't understand what I'm doing. They, they've never heard of me. So it, it, you need that little back and forth for it to work. Oh, yeah, 100% agree. And like you look at it like five, ten years ago, somebody would look at someone making mountain biking YouTube videos and they'd be like, oh, they don't know what they're doing. They're not a pro racer whatnot. But like I feel like when brands start sponsoring with the YouTubers and whatnot, they can – go to a consumer in more of a direct way because 
a YouTuber mountain biker will relate more to your average customer than like a pro racer. Cause at the end of the day, not everybody wants to go out there and, you know, shred Red Bull rampage or whatnot, or go crazy enduro races. They just want to get out there and enjoy the bike. So definitely. Yeah. And I'm, I'm at that level where it's like, yeah, I go and ride all these different trails. I give you good recommendations on where I think you guys should ride. And when you go out and do that, you're like, wow, that was so cool. That was so fun. So I am just a, a man of the people and just to get people to see that, yeah, you don't have to be the fastest, the baddest, the the craziest, doing the biggest jumps. You can still have a blast on these bikes and push yourself to the limit pretty good. Exactly. So, so uh, go, Alex. <laughs> Every time. It's your first can one. You you're still, you're, yeah, yeah, you're still like the cadence of like, you know, like, oh, you just asked, then I asked, then you asked, then you asked. You'll get it. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. <laughs> What's your favorite place you've ridden? Number one place. Exactly Man. what I was about to ask. Cool. So there's uh, there's a couple. I have a couple different answers for this because there's different you know things. So I think the best trail center in the world is in Quebec, in Sentier du Moulin, in Quebec, and uh, Lac Beauport. It's so good because it's one place where you can show up and go ride and ride all these different trails, and they. Oh, it's it's so awesome. Have you guys ever been? How far is that? That's pretty far for you guys since you're in Toronto area, right? Back, it's about a six, seven hour drive. I was actually, I mean, thought of the idea of going up to Quebec. This summer, I planned on going to Mount Tremblant if things go a little lower, you know, with Alex and, you know, maybe do some, you know, camping, bikepacking, whatnot, shred some yeah. of the stuff. Cause our, the store partners were with County Cycle. Every year, they go on like a big trip to somewhere so i think last year they went to quebec cool. and they said they loved it it's great yeah highly recommend it because yeah six hours seven hours it's not that bad you get there in a day and then my my other favorite place is spain and doing uh like a whole week of riding with basque mtb and the pyrenees and i you guys have probably seen those videos but it's just a neat experience where you just show up with your bike and they feed you they house you they transport you they guide you it's just this curated experience that is just it's so fun such great riding old hiking trails and you get to see all this spanish culture face to face out in the country it's it's so cool that's really cool because you got all you got to worry about is the biking and they feed you and everything yeah stay healthy don't crash and just enjoy it exactly so seth has picked up other hobbies during this quarantine like the the rock crawler rcs and whatnot is there any like, you know, cool little hobby that you've picked up through COVID? You know, I'm I do watch a lot of YouTube. I really like stand up comedy. That's like kind of my uh, my thing. You can't really go to any stand up comedy shows now, but they actually they've yeah. they've been doing these Zoom stand up comedy shows, which have been pretty cool because everyone has their microphone and their screen on, and the comic goes in one window, and you have laughter, and they can hear, and they can kind of riff on the crowd and stuff. But then sometimes they don't have their mic and their headphones set up, so then it like reverbs through, and it's all screwy. But that's been kind of cool. That's pretty cool. I've never heard of those. That's sick. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's cool that they're adapting that way. Yep. Everyone has to. A lot of industry has to. Yeah, exactly. Definitely has. Yeah, I don't know. The pandemic and the shutdown and everything, like, I don't know. It's just kind of put, like, a halt to society, but at the same time, a way for it to advance differently. 
you know, like grow differently. Yeah, I de- it's so funny with like, you know, people having to set a date or want to do a vacation or do this or that. Like, I know all these people who, who had their weddings, but they never had their party for the wedding. They just went and got the county, you know, certificate certification thing. So now it's like there's going to be a queue of like all these people like, oh, I want to have my wedding party and do all that stuff. And then and then you think about how it used to be. Now, you guys are a little younger, but when I was going to work and going to school and stuff, when you were sick, you just went to work. You didn't, who cares? You're coughing, you're, you're, you're sneezing. You're like, Oh no, I'm not, I'm not sick, sick enough to stay in bed. But now I think it's going to be pretty clear that everyone for the next 20 years or so, I think everyone's going to be like, Oh crap, you're sick. You stay home. That's all you, that's what you do. Even if you have maybe even a little bit of a sore throat, you're going to wear a mask. Like, even though it seems weird, if everyone else is out and healthy, if you just feel kind of off, I think everyone is going to wear a mask now when they feel just kind of weird. And how cool is that? That might actually like help people like so many people and people won't tragically die from the flu if they're older and that kind of stuff. So it could be really neat for us to kind of change yeah. our mindset. But then of course in 20 years it'll all be gone because it's the Spanish flu. There's always there's always been epidemics and they they even had masks way back in 1918 and there was a whole thing about Colorado uh getting fed up with wearing the masks and then they took their masks off during the Spanish flu and they got wiped out even harder and stuff. So <laughs> it's like everything just repeats itself. Yeah, hopefully there's like you, you know at least going to be how long do you think it's going to be until we get back to normal? Oh, man, that's the toughest thing. It's like the herd immunity and the vaccinations and all that stuff. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. I hope by July we get stuff pretty sorted out. How are the vaccines going in the in Canada? Uh, I have no clue. I think they're only getting like very limited amounts of it. America bought them all up. Yeah, yeah I believe you guys have stolen a, a, right about every single vaccine ever created ever. Just <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, because I believe, yeah, there's very limited amounts. And I think they're going to like all the frontline people first. And they're kind of just yeah. going down the chain a little before they release it to the general public and whatnot. Yeah, the news here, it seems like it started with the front line and actually is already starting to kind of trickle to the lower and lower groups of, you know, slightly less older people. Because <laughs> I've heard of a few people that got it. But I'm like, well, that's funny because I've never heard of it. So, you know, who knows if they're being serious about it or just saying it, <laughs> whatnot. So people don't be like, oh, you have COVID or something like that. Yeah. Then we also got another variation of it as well from like Europe and South or Africa or something like that. So, I mean, at the end of the day, there's always going to be different strains of it. More to worry about. I mean, one of the bigger problems is just people don't really trust the vaccine. They don't, uh, they think that it's going to uh, do bad things to them. And there have been um, reports, obviously, as with any vaccine, that there have been some people that have negative reactions to that which is um, scaring other people away, especially for the fact that you have to get two doses uh, uh, like a month afterwards. And it sounds um, not the best symptoms you get from the vaccine, but it's the outcome from getting the vaccine is that you don't have to worry as nearly, nearly as much about oh, definitely. getting COVID. And it's so funny because 
you know, the biggest risk we all take is getting in our cars. Anytime you're driving in a car, that's how most people die <laughs> in the United States yeah. and Canada. And it's like, you, we don't even think about that risk whatsoever. But this other thing can just get us all fired up. And it is important. People have died. But uh, oh, it's just life is all about trade-offs and risks and managing risks. I mean, mountain biking, holy moly. It's so, so dangerous most people we know have gotten injured some way luckily i don't know anyone who's actually died or been paralyzed mountain biking but it's it's all a part of uh getting out and living we can't live without taking risk yeah i believe the only death from mountain biking i've heard of was at a local but somebody went on to like an off to a hiking trip and kind of went off the cliff oh wow uh, yeah you know, also heard some there's some stories i've heard at kelso about some people breaking their back i've heard that but i don't i haven't heard too many major ones i think ontario compared to a lot of other places i think what we lack is a difficulty of trails because although we do have we definitely have some trails that are difficult and that i think even more experienced mountain bikers than sebastian and i would consider difficult um there's just not a lot of it, especially because we just don't have a lot of elevation, so we don't have a lot of downhill. Yeah. And um, I, not, not, not many really grizzly bears. No, no bears. We. Yeah. I mean, it depends where you are. I think we have a, a little up north. Might find maybe. some bears. <laughs> yeah, it's because most of the Ontario population is in the south, and when the south is pretty flat, that's why they built cities there. Yeah. And um, like a lot of our nice pretty areas are way away from civilization which means like a lot and a lot of driving to actually away yeah. from civilization in the gta like i'd say to get some like decently good elevation trails it's like two hour drive about two yeah maybe yeah. Three. yeah so when you go up there for a day it's not a whole lot of riding well it's i mean you can get a day out of it but then those places that are only two, three hours, it's only worth like the day. Like you wouldn't go there, stay the night, ride the next day as well. Just nothing big enough or enough in an area to be able to do that. Unless you're going to like the bike parks or whatnot. Okay. Oh, are, have you ever come up to Ontario? You know, I've heard good things about HydroCut. People really oh, seem to like HydroCut a lot. And uh, and then I think even in Toronto, there's like a whole system of city trails kind of thing where you're kind of in and out of the, of the city. Yeah. Yeah. Those are pretty good. Those are pretty good trail systems. Hydro What's Cut's the best? Definitely, I, would, I, would, I would put, even though like I'm a very diehard Kelso person because that's where... I grew I up mountain biking. That's where I learned. I would, yeah, I would give it to Hydrocut. I would give Hydrocut as the best place to mountain bike. But we are very XC oriented. We don't. It doesn't seem like the majority aren't XC racers, but we have a, just because of our elevation, like we said. Yeah, it's a lot of XC, um, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. XC and road. It's bikers. all right. We manage. I mean, hey, if you ever wanted to come down, we'd be more than happy to show you around. Yeah. Meet yeah. up on some cutter whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. You have to wait till the border then, is open, open back yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. Hydro Cup, Blue Mountain. Could make Horseshoe's good. Horseshoe, yeah. 
we'll we'll plan you a whole trip. Yeah, we got a whole. We'll do everything for you. All you have to do is come. Yeah, it's our offer. Be great fun. So, Brian, which one is better, Shimano or Shram? Man, it's a biker. Yeah, question. it's an interesting it's question, question because the uh, the SRAM stuff, they seem to be innovating. Like everything's expensive always, but when people come out with, with companies come out with new stuff every year, it's like, okay, at least we're paying a little bit for research and development and everything's so expensive that like they can actually upgrade and keep moving bikes forward. Man, if you look at mountain bikes 10 years ago, it's so much has changed and so much has advanced and it sucks that these bikes are so expensive and I complain as much as anyone else, but, uh, it's neat that we keep pushing forward. And I think that SRAM is pushing forward so much with the wireless shifting stuff and the doing the Eagle, the big gear first. And then Shimano kind of was like, okay, it's good enough. We're going to, we're going to do it too. And you know, Shimano's kind of a faceless corporation. It's blue. Like it's gray. Like, let's let all the other yeah, guys it, go in and try it. If they fail, then we'll just stay where we are. But if they do well, let's go in. Yeah, exactly. And that's a, a, it's a safe way to run a business versus experimenting and trying and failing and doing things. And yeah, and SRAM's just been good to me. They're like, a, a, I know a couple of the people there. So it's like, okay, they do this, they do that. I have a little SRAM thing here. I've got a little rocker paddle thing for my SRAM Eagle shifter that I have forgotten to put on for like a month now. Yeah, because I've had, I mean, I've had a fair share of both brands. But I haven't tried the new 12-speed from Shimano, but my new bike that I'm getting comes with that. So just waiting on that bike to be finalized, but I had some car repairs I had to deal with. Oh, man. You know, engines going, insurance just randomly going up in the new year and whatnot. But the Growler I built up, that had a SRAM GX with an NX cassette just so you didn't have to finick with all the hub and whatnot. And honestly, my Fuel X had the uh, SRAM GX as well, and just the click and the shifter on the SRAMs is just so much more satisfying than the Shimano. And yeah, I don't know. The big thing just, for me, no. the big thing for me is SRAM just looks better. You just, the silverness of the Shimano looks like it's way, way too outdated now. And I think, especially with SRAM, they have their rainbow cassettes and they're offering these different colors that you can interchange, even though they're rainbow cassettes, like $600 Canadian which is like a lot of money to think about spending on a cassette. But performance aside, the SRAM ones are just miles ahead in looking modern and looking new. That's what I think. Definitely. But I have to admit, actually, no, not, I don't know about that. I was going to say, sh mm, I don't know. Shimano's brakes. Hmm. Okay, now I don't know. It was before that the SRAM brakes were just a little unreliable. Yeah. And they'd have, you know, the issues with the, the super squishy lever to bar issues on them. Yeah, they had to change the whole name, the Avid brakes. Yeah. They just got rid of the name because it had such a bad re reputation. And now they're going to have to fight their way out, which is almost better where you have to rebuild it from scratch and you have to win everyone back over and you have to prove it and be like, hey, these are awesome. I'm actually going to get rid of the Shimano brakes on my bike and put on some new code RSC brakes on, on the on the Ripmo and try it out for the first time in a long time. I've been running Shimano brakes for a few yeah. years now. <laughs> See, I, I recently got a new bike and it has SRAM code R's on them. And from what I heard over time that the SRAM ones were a lot more um like squishier, you 
you have more, I forgot the word, but modulation. Yeah, modulation, that's it. And honestly, I don't really actually find that big of a difference between the brakes of the SRAM, because I had um, two piston uh, Shimano SLX on my old one, and now I have four piston Code R on my new bike. And you can definitely tell that it's more powerful brake, but it's also not an entirely fair uh, comparison. But I honestly thought that there would be um, a bigger difference. Yeah, but I, don't I think it's funny. We're a little smaller. I think the weight of our category is a little different. Like once you start getting 180, 200, 250, I think people really start to tell the difference in brake power and like, cause yeah, cause so many people say, oh, I'm Shimano like, is- me. I just hit them and they'll stop me. Yeah, I, yeah I never exactly. had a problem with brakes not being able to stop my body weight. <laughs> totally, to so it's like some people say it's on off versus that, that modulation thing, but exactly. I think they just might be a little heavier than us. <laughs> yeah. Watching your- uh, I was watching your new bike check video from probably a couple months now when I was just doing some research and stuff, and I noticed you really bashed SRAM's electronics things, like the the reverb and the, the uh, axis shifting, You and the app especially. You really um, bashed them. What do you think SRAM should be focusing on when they're releasing their new wireless shifters or droppers when they're improving them or updating them? See, I think the quality of the products themselves, like the actuation, the, the, when you're out on the trail, I think it's great. And for me, it's, I drive so much in my car. I have the bike in the back of my car. So the components are always kind of turning on and off. So making sure the batteries are charged is kind of on me, but I wish the batteries would stay charged longer. But my real, real headache was with the app. The app was just, it, I don't, I haven't really checked on it again recently, but it's just so bad and trying to pair this device and master slave to this. And you have to set up your derailleur first and then pair your derailleur to your dropper post. It was just, oh, it sucked so bad. Cause you, we all take for granted how seamless things are now. I just, you know, I had a pair of Bose headphones, which were, you know, Bluetooth, boom, you switch them, you switch to this, switch to that. Now I just got a pair of Sony headphones. They don't switch the Bluetooth from my phone to my computer. It's like all of a sudden you're taking a step back of how technology used to be when I was 13 years old and you had to mess with it all the time and unplug it and plug it back in where it's like, oh, we should be moving forward and stuff should be super dialed in and not this weird hodgepodge of that. Yeah, and I, I don't know, like I like the cool innovation of the electric stuff and the wireless shifting and whatnot but the battery life is something like i'd forget to plug it in or something and then have a ride the next day and get to the trail and realize oh shoot forgot to plug in my my <laughs> derailleur battery or whatnot right so i'd just be sitting there and you know it'd be cool if they could integrate like on the what is it seat tube or something like a like a solar pa panel type of thing because you're outside all day so it could just charge it through I don't know solar power. That I mean, yeah. that'd be pretty. Cool. The saddle on the top would cover tube, it, Yeah. Where would where would you put it? Where would you Seat put tube? the solar panel? Yeah, maybe the top tube because that's the thing that's yeah. hitting the yeah. sun the most. Mm -hmm. That would be interesting. And then for for like the shifter, you could like put. A, I mean, your bars would kind of cover it there. But I don't know. It'd just be cool if they could find a way so that in case you forget to charge your batteries, there's still a way to charge it while you're riding. Yeah, and that's the thing with technology. It's like. <sighs> That battery is so big, but it's why is it that big? Is it the actuation? Is that what's taking the most power? Like, is there a way to just keep iterating and making it better where it's like, oh yeah, the Bluetooth, low energy, boom, that's that's a very small amount of energy. The actuation of the shifter, that's a very small amount of energy. Then all of a sudden you can make the battery half the size and twice as last twice as long and all that stuff that kind of hopefully will keep coming and keep coming. <laughs> 
Exactly. Yeah. Be pretty cool. Where do you think the um, where do you think the future of mountain bikes go? When you look into the future, maybe five or ten years, where do you think mountain bikes are gonna go? Man, it's more sensors. Definitely a lot more sensors. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure SRAM. I saw some spy shot or something like that, or patent where it's like we should have sensors in our front fork and our shock constantly. They should automatically be adjusting. They should, you know, they should know who we are. They should take our weight and all that stuff and just set it up for me. Like, okay, what am I doing? What is the rebound? Like, like just three little settings, harsh, you know, medium or soft and just take all this guesswork out of it. We're still doing all these clicks and the rebound and all that stuff. Nobody, well, I'm sure people mess with it and there's a certain layer of people who know what they're doing, but the 90% of people, they're like, okay, I just set it up in the middle because that's the recommended setting. It, there's there's got to be more and more sensors more and more almost like uh you know anti-theft too because every single frame should have a chip in it with like a 3g modem that can communicate back mm. and say hey where's like where's my iphone kind of thing but where's my bike the bike's so expensive another hundred dollar thing that has a battery that you change every six months if you ever look at amazon they have a bunch of these little devices now that they've gotten smaller and smaller and now that exactly. nobody uses the 3g spectrum like we all we're all on 4g or on 5g like all that data is super super cheap where it just has to send out like a little ping every, you know, 30 minutes. Here's my location. Here's my location. Exactly. I wouldn't mind spending like 10 bucks a month knowing that if my bike gets taken, I'll be able to follow it wherever it goes. Oh that, yeah. That and like cool. realistically, I bet they could get away with three bucks a month and, and everybody mm -hmm. would be happy. You know, it's like what, there hasn't really been a real bike insurance play yet. It's kind of too expensive to insure your bike. But if that is bike insurance, where it's a little device that you can fit in your frame. And the thing is, it's like you almost need a little secret spot. Like bike companies almost need like a little, uh, how do you do it? So thieves don't know that they can pull it out. That kind of, there's, there's many layers yeah. to it. But that, that should be very, very close. Somebody should really figure that out. Mm -hmm. That seems like a really good idea. That seems like a really good idea. Because I know like I... I've never having my bike stolen. I don't really know anyone that's had their bike stolen, but I can't really imagine like getting up in the morning or whatever, trying to go for a ride and like your bike's just gone and just the yeah thing that you spend so like especially how much money we spend on bikes these days to all get the time like, it took to save up all the work, all the lawns you got to mow. <laughs> yeah, I had two bikes stolen from my garage years ago. It was actually when I had started my channel. I when yeah, it gets really really hot. Yeah, when it gets really, really hot here it, and doesn't cool down at night, it's like ridiculous. And I left my garage door open to kind of cool off the house because the garage is attached to the house and kind of get a breeze going. And I totally forgot to put my garage door down and it was garbage night or garbage day. You know, you put your garbage cans out and there's always scroungers and people like going through trash cans on garbage day. And I just I invited them. I just had my garage door open. My bikes were, you know, in there and I woke up in the morning. I was like, oh, no, they're gone on and it's brutal but yeah with a little gps thing boom track them down go find them hey those are mine give them back and then it's done did you end yeah, up finding yeah. them no i never did i put an insurance claim with a triple a my renter's insurance and they replaced them at the like at the replacement value not like oh if you were gonna buy another one it's like if you were gonna buy a new yeti bike right now here's the replacement value and uh, that whole process was actually really really nice after feeling like totally violated and something being stolen that uh 
after paying thousands and thousands of ins- dollars in insurance and never using it for my auto insurance, it's like, okay, this renter's insurance actually paid off for only 200 bucks a year or whatever it is. It's so trivial mm-hmm. that they'll actually replace that stuff. It's amazing. Yeah, my younger brother had his bike stolen out of our backyard, but that's about it. I mean, Brutal. never saw it again, so I don't know. People that just like walk onto your property, I don't know, it just feels... Uh, yeah, it's like you got to be shameless and you got to be desperate. That's the thing too. It's like people are, everybody's going through something and there's an easy way. If you can actually get rid of a bike and sell it for 500 bucks or 200 bucks, then it's an easy 200 bucks in your pocket and maybe it gets you through the, the next week. Mm-hmm. So back to bike and technology. So like 10 years ago, 26 inch tires, everyone had them. Then it went to 27, then 29 er think we're getting bigger now we got like 29 plus like those things when you run the tire pressure and they're rolling you got like a 32 inch diameter there yeah if they're if it makes the ride better that's all that matters if we can make it more fun i don't care what the numbers are if the if the fun factor goes up the numbers don't matter exactly yeah i agree but i mean there's there's gonna be a point where it's like should we go bigger because like you're not gonna be you know, riding 46 inch tires, 48 inch tires. That's just gonna, Hey, I'll do it. I'll do it. If it's fun. If someone releases it, maybe that's a video idea. (laughs) Gotta build yourself a 46 inch wheel. Yeah. Those old original, I forgot what those original (laughs) Pullman, like the original giant front wheel bikes with the guys sitting on top and the little tiny back. They they went around in the wraps, the the laps. Yeah. Things are fun. I've been on one. They look pretty sure IFHT. IFHT, haven't they done something with um like oh, I don't think they actually did, but bigger they is had better. like some thirty six inch wheel that they had. Yeah, because I was sketched out. I don't like think you know, twenty seven five cross country bike, and I'm like, uh, do I go for the twenty nine or do I not go to the twenty nine or? And then you know, I kind of went to the twenty. Never going back. If I see twenty seven five plus, yeah. I don't care. I'm not going back unless it's like a twenty seven five plus because it's basically a twenty nine er, but. 29ers the way yeah yeah 29 i love it it rolls over everything and you don't like with the 27.5 you kind of get stuck in all the little roots and whatnot the 29ers just go right over it i've never had anything other than 27.5 is your new bike 29 no my new bike's 27.5 really so uh i still don't have a i still haven't actually ridden a 29 I've only ridden your I've ridden your bikes, but those are just around parking lots and stuff. So I haven't mm-hmm. actually had a proper experience with a twenty nine, but maybe maybe I don't really care. I don't think it really makes an actual difference that's worth like the amount of arguing and like fights that go on for yeah. in the twenty seven point five versus twenty nine. I don't know if it's really worth that much debate. But at the end of the day, if you're shredding and having fun, so win for everyone. That's all that matters. Exactly. Yeah. I like the playfulness of a 27.5, though. Especially, it's just, I don't know, feels a little bit easier to just lift up the back end when you're going over some things. Yep, tight turns and stuff. Yep. I Which asked I mean, you before I've... what your, um, your favorite place that you ever rode. So now I'm wondering, what's the least favorite? What is the, what's the most disappointed place or what's your least favorite place like what wasn't good like just wasn't good <laughs> at least return 
Man, there's there's been a, I've been lucky enough that a, most of everything that I ride is stuff that people recommend, you know? And you know, thinking back to Tibet, going to China and like that was just such a crazy cool adventure, but the trails themselves were just like weird fire roads and just like, uh, I, is this was this a thing? And it's funny because that I think China is just building so many roads and like building, building, building that they had run that trip like two or three years in a row. And the year before it was actually single track on a few of the places that we did. But then the next year it's just a road. (laughs) It's like, what the heck? It's what was this? What is this? So as, as much as it was like a, a weird, as much as the riding wasn't the best, the adventure going to Tibet and China and seeing all that stuff was like once in a lifetime for sure. And totally worth it. Said yes. before, you're living the dream, mountain biker's <laughs> dream. I hope we yeah, can get there someday. Yeah, go travel, ride everything. That'd be wicked. So yeah, I have a. Question. It's all out there. When I first emailed you, probably five years ago, maybe 2017. You had like maybe fifty to eighty thousand subscribers, somewhere around there. You're now well over, well, over 400,000. What were your, like, your hiccups? You know, like the bumps along the way. Was there ever, like, an issue where, how do I engage my audience to the next level? Like, I'm making the Viking videos. How do I go that that next step further? That's a good question, because I think a lot of people look at YouTubers, especially the ones that are super successful, and you just think that, like, oh, my God, it's, like, their life is perfect. They just, like, they just put on a GoPro or something, or they just turn on a camera, film a video, and now they're making so much money, and they're doing whatever they want and stuff like that. But you never really hear about the things that aren't so perfect and good. Yeah, it's funny. When you look at the subscriber number, it's kind of pointless. It's kind of doesn't mean anything. I'm not getting 400,000 views on every video. You know, my videos, like my views and stuff, they go up, they go down, they go medium, they go low, they go high. And it's all about what am I doing? What am I making? Am I making stuff that people actually want to watch? Are people actually getting excited about it? Are people getting fired up? That's why the 50 state shred was pretty cool. Cause I think it got people really engaged and people like, Oh man, what's next? What's going to happen. And that idea of giving p- people something to look forward to and just like, Oh, what, what's like, people always talk about redemption 17. And that was just this really fun road trip that I did with the single track sampler. And that we were always giving them something to look forward to. What are they going to do next? Oh man, the energy is so fun and the videos are so good. And going to the UK, like when I went to the United Kingdom, finally England and Scotland and Wales, and those videos did really good. So it's like these big, you know, events and you can, base your channel you can build your channel around trying to do the biggest baddest stuff and build events but then i kind of you can get your head totally screwed up of like everything i do has to be a home run i can't just put on a camera and go ride so like i've kind of had to reset myself and say no it's okay to just put on a camera and go ride and go make a video that maybe not that many people are going to watch but you just go out and do it and people are going to like it. There are going to be people to find it, but it's not going to hit a million views and it's not going to just break out and be crazy. YouTube is just such a weird, weird place. There's plenty of my videos that have like half a million views or a million views where it's like, I don't know why this is better than any of the other ones I've ever made. Like it has a cool, usually it's the thumbnail and the title, but even some of those are like, eh, I don't know this. It's just as good as anything else, but 
people like YouTube recommended it more and people seem to watch it more and off to the races it goes. That's really cool. And like when you do the whole like 50 state travel thingy or you go to Europe and whatnot and ride the trails, you get into a, a bigger audience because it's like people that film videos and they'll film the same thing. Like everyone's got a video at Whistler, but like not too many people have a video of them going like traveling in Europe and riding some of the cool things there. So like from like North American people, it's really cool to see like what other parts of the world have. Because like when you really think about it, what we have in like Canada and the US, it's all it's similar in some way. And then when you go to and it's like a, just a completely different landscape. Yeah. And that's that's what I love about my channel and my value that I'm trying to offer is that if you see something on my channel, you probably can go ride it. It probably is a trip. There probably is something. Not everything I do is like, you know, when I went to Kenya with Adam, uh, that's just he invited me there and we just went and rode around his backyard kind of thing. And it was amazing. But it's not really a trip that someone would be able to do. There's not really hotels. There's not really infrastructure. But for most mm -hmm. of my trips, there's some kind of infrastructure. And it's like, yes, that is possible. You can go to Revelstoke. You can go to the Alps. You can go here and go there and go do it yourself and kind of meet showing off all that stuff it's it's just the best yeah that's that yeah that's sick like yeah that's cool it's just yeah <laughs> i don't know it just sounds like a lot of fun yeah during it is. your during your 50 shade state shred when you were traveling around in your van was there ever times that you felt maybe a little worried or sketched out or scared um, just based on the area you were in or, or that can apply to any of your travels. If there were any, any other, if there were ever any places in which you were afraid, scared. Yeah. It's funny when you sleep in the van, it's actually almost better if there's like a hustle and bustle and you're at like a Walmart parking lot or a gas station because there's just people coming and going and it kind of like freaks you out a little bit. But then when you go park out in the middle of nowhere where it's really quiet, and then you hear, then you hear, then you hear a noise, and you're like, "Uh, what the heck is that?" No, like then you get even more scared, even though you're in the safest, nice desert campground or whatever. So there was never any moment where I was like, "Oh, I gotta, I gotta fight. I got something's gonna go down here." But it, it's funny getting used to sleeping in the van where you kind of can sleep better when it's kind of white noise happening, and then when it's just pure silence, it's like, "Uh." Do you have any like van issues, breakdowns or anything? No breakdowns. I had to get a couple oil changes because I drove so much. Yeah. My, uh, yeah, I can't think of anything that really went wrong. Luckily, I mean, it's a brand new van. So, yeah, you know, exactly. hopefully it wouldn't like conk out on me. But I, I can't think of any like flat tires or cracked windshields or anything that really set me back. And it would have been in the videos. That's the thing about my life. It's like, yeah. if it was something really crazy, it would have been in the videos. And we would all remember that time. Like, oh, man, the axle broke. <laughs> How many <laughs> miles? How many miles did you do in that van? You know, I, I for, off the top of my head, I think I did 48. I think the van has about 48,000 miles right now. Wow. And you started at zero? Yeah, yeah, around? just around zero. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Maybe two, 100 or maybe 28. I think the van had 28 miles on it when I first got it in October 2019. Yeah. That's 77,000 wow. kilometers for those yeah, yeah. Canadians. Thank, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's like our average, I think, where I am at least is around 20 to 24,000 kilometers a year. So whew, that's a lot. 
in that definitely short back and forth across the u.s like a few times and up and down and sometimes you're like man it already has been ten thousand miles because you try to get an oil change every ten thousand miles and like yeah it's crazy that's funny that's pretty cool though love to get a van and you know bike it out yeah, it's the right way to do it. It's really awesome just to have it. And even now that I'm done with the 50 state shred, I think I'll always have the van because it's just so nice as a weekend thing. You put the bikes in there, you put all your clothes and gear, you know, you have all the clothes and gear, you have the bed, you have the sink. It's just very comfortable to drive and park. And it's just a perfect little adventure mobile. Do, do you feel like you have like an emotional attachment to that van? Because it's like you wouldn't that van have traveled like all over the US, all over the place, didn't so much with the van and whatnot. So it's like, do you feel like there's just something that would stop you from ever getting rid of that? Yeah, that's funny you say that because I haven't really had much emotional attachment to many of my cars previously, but this, the van, there's definitely a, another level of man. I met Sarah, I had, you know, traveled all these places, did all this stuff. It's, it's very much like, oh, dang, it'll be, it'd be tough. It'll be tough yeah. one day to get rid of it. Mm hmm. Pretty crazy. Very crazy. Wow. Your channel is almost five years old. I looked at it. It's April 4th, I think. Yep. April 4th, 2016. Jeez. So are you anything special for the five years? You know, I hadn't actually thought I got to start kind of thinking about it. Maybe I'll do a live stream. That'd be kind of a fun little way to celebrate because I've done little like videos before and nobody watches the videos. Nobody cares. You know, it's like the very core audience of people versus when you do a live stream, even if there's only 500 people watching, it feels like a million because you can act, interact with everybody and you can have so much fun and it just feeds me so much. And I, I just really enjoy doing those live streams. And, and that's one way to celebrate for sure. Mm hmm. How does it feel coming up on five years? Does it feel like you've been doing this forever or does it feel like it was just yesterday that you started posting videos? Oh man, it's both. It's really both because it does. It's like, dang. Oh yeah. When I started, it was such a long time ago, but not long ago at all. And it still feels fun and I'm not burned out on it. And I, there's still a million places that I haven't ridden that I need to ride to show to you guys. So it's very cool. Like as far as, you know, uh, making it or doing as well as I want to do or hitting all my goals. I kind of knew this was like a 10 year process that it's going to take 10 years or so to really develop into something and, and create different things off of this, you know, my YouTube business versus other businesses that I want to start and try to solve other problems. So I do feel like I'm, I'm making progress and it's still going to take another five years or something to really hit home as many home runs as I want to hit. So when you say when other did business you realize? Go ahead, Alice. Okay, Go ahead. sorry. When did you realize? At what point through your YouTube journey did you realize, like, wow, I'm kind of like a big YouTuber? Or, or when did you realize that you'd made it on YouTube? Yeah, it's funny. It's I I still don't think I'm that big of a YouTuber, even though subscriber wise, if you look at other subscribers and that kind of thing, it is. I am a bigger YouTuber and stuff, but the just quitting my job just knowing like around 50,000 subscribers or whatever I was at or 30,000, whatever it was, was like, okay, I think I can do this. I think I have enough. And when I made that, that uh, my time is up video and 
talking to people saying, hey, I need you guys to help me out on Patreon. Let's do this. I'll do extended cut videos. You'll get something for tr your money. You know, you're, you're trading your money for your time and I can produce something that you might find valuable. And it was the just the perfect timing and the perfect like, okay. That, you know, I think my first month on Patreon was maybe 500 bucks and then maybe it was 800 bucks and then it was 1200 bucks. So just having that, once it hit a nice level where it's like, okay, I could pay my rent for this. I could travel with this. That's when I felt like I made it when you can make it full time when the income is there. Cause there's people that have millions of views and millions of subscribers and they never quit their job. Like there's YouTubers that maybe they're even making millions of dollars, but they can't take the leap to like quit their job and actually do stuff. And it's like still too scary. And I did it with like almost no income. And it, it made me feel like this is the milestone. This is all that matters. And that really, that's all all that matters is like making that switch to independent and doing it fan funded, fan built, all that stuff. Yeah, that's what I was wondering is like when you realize, hey, I can quit my my nine to five job every day and I can do this YouTube thing. Like what did people think? Do they think you're crazy or like, you know? Yeah. It's, it's like, so funny because, yeah, it's, it's unknown. It's, ride my bike, make videos, post yeah. them to the internet, make a living off of it. People are like, oh, you're insane. <laughs> totally. And it's just, it's funny. My family was always supportive and, but just like none of us knew, none of us really no. And that's the thing. None of us have any idea whether the bike shop's still going to be in business tomorrow or your the hospital you work at is still going to be in business. Everything is a, a crapshoot. Everything goes up and goes down and fails and gets reborn. So just the fact of like, nope, I'm going to try this out. I'm going to do it. Let's see what happens. It's totally crazy. I, you know, no, none of us know anybody who ever became a YouTuber full time. You know, it's like it's not a thing. It's like you might know somebody who made it to the NFL more than, you know, somebody who became a YouTuber. <laughs> like it's yeah. like so crazy and weird. But that's the thing about life and taking risk and chances. They can judge you. They can laugh at you. They can support you. But they're not with you every single day, every single minute doing the work, being there everyone from afar is going to be like, ha, 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 but they're going to still be laughing at their normal job and their normal life and, and never really do anything or excel because you have to take risks to excel and you have to just push yourself out of your comfort zone to ever get anything worthwhile in life. Exactly. And like to go on to that, like that push in date, I've been like lucky enough that Alex came onto the channel with me because past few years, you know, been very difficult, like family issues, you know, whatnot, personal issues in my life. And it's like, I was really lucky to have Alex there, who's able to, you know, help me bring that channel to the next step, even though I wasn't necessarily there all the time. So yeah, just... Yeah, Great. having a partner. I mean, just I'm very much in a vacuum, but I have Seth and I have Alexander and a bunch of other YouTuber guys where I can bounce ideas off of. But having a partner right there all the time. Oh, we could do this. Oh, we could do that. Like, it's very, very healthy for uh, if you guys can get along. It's super good mm -hmm. for ideas and production and all that stuff. So you, you're pretty lucky to find a good partner. Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah, I like I have been kind of. If you look at the videos, I'm the one that appears in a lot of them. But, like, people don't really understand that it's not just, like, me doing all the work just because I'm the one in the video. Like, there's still a lot of things that happen behind the scenes and stuff like that. Even though, like, it's just, it's more than it comes to the eye. So even though Sebastian's not always a huge, giant presence on the channel as much as I know we both want him to be, um, you know... Uh, we still are able to manage and 
have yeah, have true. you ever had trouble staying motivated with your channel? Have you ever had moments where you've lost motivation? You know, and how did you overcome it? It's tough because I've been lucky enough where I, I you got to fight through those moments. You know, as a full timer, it's like, hey, this is it. I've already burned the bridges. This is what I'm gonna do. And you know, I've I've read about burnout and watch videos about burnout and it kind of comes down to when the effort you put in doesn't get rewarded you know when you work and work and work so hard on something and then it comes out and then nobody cares that's what the burnout when you do a cycle of that where you release 10 videos and just ah oh, they just nobody cares nobody likes it it keeps getting lower and lower and you know my life is built on views and hits and clicks and uh it's my whole life is like a, a a measuring stick every time. It's like a scoreboard every single time. Like, oh, okay, people care. People don't care. Oh, no, the score is going down. I'm, I'm dying out here. So that that burnout thing is always real. But as a creator, it's like, God, the world is your oyster. You can do whatever you want. And if you make something amazing, people will respect it. They will respond to it. If you inform, if you entertain, if you can get something really magical out there, which is the hardest thing in the world, obviously, because there's millions of YouTubers out there and exactly. it's everybody's competing for that attention. But uh, it it is tough. But I have I have my moments, but, you know, I luckily I always have my breakthrough things, too, where I do something on Patreon and people are like, oh, man, this is amazing. This is great. And it kind of fires me up again. Yeah, and it's funny because when you're going into a video, making a video, you don't know what the, the reaction is going to be in terms of you. Like, for example, I filmed a bike trek video. It was a three-minute long video. I filmed it in 10, 15 minutes on my iPhone. And, you know, Alex, we threw it together and posted it. And it was the top video on the channel for months, right? Got, like, well yeah. over. What's it at now? 15K? About? Views? Just under? It's around 11K. But our two top videos are around 11K. Well, so it's like, 11K. and then... We'll put in all this effort, you know, we'll go drive three hours, put all this effort, you know, get all the cameras, get all the wicked shots and whatnot. And a week we'll of editing, a whole week yeah. of editing. Get in that music <laughs> first cut and it's like, the video just kind of just sits there and it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. But the thing is, it's like, you guys are doing this. You're so young. Like if you can spend year after year after year, as long as you're still diligently improving your skills and learning and being like, oh, the audio, oh, we could do better on the audio. Ooh, we could do this. We could do this with the video. Wait, what if we tried this lens instead of that lens? If you guys are still improving your craft all along the way, you don't know what kind of opportunities can pop out of like, oh, wow, now we could film commercials for you know a, the bike shop and sell that to them for 5,000 bucks because they would normally pay 10,000 bucks for something so well put together and so, you know, filmed so great. But you guys have been just spending all this time for zero money, building your school skills, building, your, just doing your own school. And eventually I, I know you guys put out more than a hundred videos, right? Like right at a hundred videos. Like yeah. when you just keep doing it, keep grinding, keep producing every week, Sunday at 12. Only, yeah. You only get better because of it and it will pay off. What do you think the we hardest so. milestone you was to hit? Thousand subscribers, ten thousand subscribers, hundred thousand subscribers. Yeah. Or was it like a view mark on the channel? Because like one thing we're seeing is like monetization. To be able to monetize your videos five years ago is so much easier. I think you only needed something like uh, five thousand channel views or something like that, yes. and you could have just been monetized but, instantly. But now, you you would only be making three dollars a month exactly. like it's like you're, you're exactly. not missing yeah. out on anything until you actually hit the real it's a hurdle it sucks but yeah. it's like 
even at the thing where they you can get monetized, I don't even know if it would be more than a hundred bucks a month kind of thing. So uh, you're not missing out on anything. So it's about creating the videos that people really like and want to get to and are dying to have information about and just focusing on that, the end user, the the people, who is the person watching this? Why do they care? What do they, what do they want to see? And there's so many channels that have just blown up out of nowhere because they are giving people what they want to see. Kyle and April doing all kinds of good tutorials, learning how to corner, learning how to bunny hop. People are just dying for that information and they find a way to really package it really nicely and just shoot off to the moon. So there's a million things that people want to know. And when I load up YouTube, I'm like, man, there's nothing to watch. What is going on here? I want to watch something good and I can't find anything good. So it's up to you guys to make something good. We're trying. <laughs> so would you say making videos that aren't necessarily like you have a mountain biking channel and like, you know, Seth has done it and he's gone and done the RC videos. Do you think that's a good idea for the channel to do? Because like Ye indirectly it can, his RC stuff can relate in a way to mountain bike, you know, like RC outdoors, off-roading, whatnot. I was just thinking, because I, like, I had a few ideas for, like, videos or video series, but it's, like, I'm debating if it's, like, you know, the right, going in the right direction for the channel. You know, have you ever I had think that, it's like, all uh, good. I think it's it's just totally fine to just explore your your creativity and go off of it. Don't create a second channel. Don't create a third channel. Just keep it all on your one yeah, channel yeah. and just, just do stuff. Explore. Try stuff you don't know. Like, it, people get so, especially once you get to a higher level on YouTube, you're like, oh God, you you don't want to, oh, the beast, like we don't want to anger the beast of YouTube and they're <laughs> going to shut us down if we try this or try that. And then you never know what actually might be super popular and even just doing it and getting it out there and creating something, it's, it's so worth it. And just do it on your normal channel, who cares? People get a little weird when they see something they're not expecting. Like I've done some of the short videos on YouTube and people are like, well, what is this? Ah, versus when you post it on Instagram, people are like, oh my God, this is amazing. So uh, mm -hmm. don't be afraid. Just do it. Don't overthink it. As long as you're yeah, creating, just keep creating. Yeah, because there's some like YouTubers, it's like they got four channels. It's like, oh, I don't know which one to like keep track of now. So, and then, you know, you'll have others that are like, they started off as like, vloggers and now they're car youtuber you know whatnot so it's really interesting when you can like just watch everyone there and see it definitely if you were to start a new channel or like a new channel and it can't be about bikes it's like has to be a, something completely different what's another thing you would make a channel on I would do like home building, like home renovation. I love that stuff. I love nerding out on like uh, DIY, home improvement, tools, like all that, like going through old, crazy, crappy attics and like cleaning them out and making them all fresh and new. And that's totally, I totally would do that. That'd be sick. I'd watch it. <laughs> Those DIY videos are fun to watch. It's very satisfying yeah. too. It's like somebody can take something that looks so bad and then just like in the span Job of a 10 well minute see it all like finished and nice and complete yep yeah all right well i think we're past an hour now or around that area so i feel like we could just keep talking forever but um so have anything anything you want to ask anything you want to add 
Not really. Not really, no. Brian, you have any questions for us? No, I'm good, man. That was that was really cool. I am glad I was honored to be your first guest and hopefully first of many. Perfect. I mean, yeah. we'd love to have you back on it again and maybe we can, you know, touch on some different topics or whatnot later on in the series. Yeah. Yeah. This was um really good. <laughs> it was an was honor fun. to have you on it. Yeah, thank you, you know, so much for coming on. You, my pleasure. Before we hopped on, we were so nervous. We're like, oh my gosh, we're having Brian on. We thought it was going to be super awkward and like it'd be hard to, you know, have a conversation. But you know, for the last hour, it's been a great conversation. A great time having you on here. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you guys so much for watching our very first podcast episode. We hope you enjoyed um make sure to follow us on instagram at everyday biking if you want to see these live in the future then uh, and join our mighty live audience of i think about like 13 people then make sure to join our discord using the link in the description uh make sure to follow bkxc if like there's a already, chance but... that you're not <laughs> like who wouldn't be but anyways thank you guys so much for watching we'll see you guys next time and we'll see you guys next week see ya and thank you brian for coming out my pleasure. Have a good day. I'll see you on the trail. Yes.